The COVID pandemic has hit us all hard and in so many different ways, and none have been hit harder than students with extreme absenteeism, where the rate has increased over six times from the previous year. Join us with our guest, Dr. Kelly gallagher Mackay, as we discuss some very recent Canadian research on attendance. And here are your hosts, Shelley, Steve, and me, Stan. This is our second season podcast of Circle Forum, and our focus this season is on student attendance and engagement. And we want to acknowledge that the lands on which we each gather today are on the traditional territories of Indigenous peoples. And I'm here in the unceded territory of the Coast Salish people, the Nunaimo First Nation, also known as Nunaimo, British Columbia. Shelley and Steve live and work in the traditional terry of the territory of the Haudenosaunee and Mississaugas, uh, an area also known as Cannington and Hastings, Ontario. We're all treaty land people and we recognize that we have a long way to go towards reconciliation with our First Nations. And our work with restorative practices in schools is just one way. We're really pleased and honored to have a guest with us today, Dr. Kelly gallagher Mackay from Wilfrid Laurier University. Welcome. Um, I'm coming to you um, from the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, uh, Anishinaabe and neutral peoples. Uh, I'm a assistant professor at Wilfrid Laurier University. I teach in law and society, and I do almost all my research around educational inequality. Thank you. And uh, it's great to have you here. The thing that caught my attention was an article that showed up in the Toronto Star, actually, on learning through COVID-19 report number one, which means there's probably a two, three, and four. I don't know. We'll wait for the sequels. Enrollment and absenteeism. I'm wondering if you can describe a little bit about um, what are some of the conclusions that you came to, uh, and maybe even the question you started with, with this particular research and report. Um, I was very privileged in this report to get to work with outstanding researchers from five school boards, uh, mostly in the greater Toronto area. Um, all of us shared a concern to try and understand what are the impacts COVID is having on student experiences and learning. Um, and we believed that uh, school boards have more data on students than anybody else does. Um, and that it's really important to try and uh, understand and, and quantify um, as far as we can COVID impacts. So we have a whole lot of questions and some of those questions are about like what are students learning and some of those questions are around how are students experiencing um, the pandemic and the various um, learning disruptions that they've had to go through. But there were also some very baseline questions like um, how many students are learning online and are students coming to school? And absenteeism was one of our first and primary foci. Uh, and we looked at a couple things. We, uh, there are 700,000 students almost in our study. So it's a huge wow. students. It's, you know, uh, there are 2 million in Ontario in total. <laughs> so it's a big, big, group and we wanted to know um, how was attendance during the pandemic relative to previous years and how did it compare between remote schooling and in-person schooling so those were the two um, 
you know, really core descriptive questions that we thought we needed before you could um, make any policy plans or statements about it. And so what we found was that there were big differences. Well, I think we, we looked at two key indicators, one of which is chronic absenteeism, um, which is defined in a lot of literature as missing more than 10% of days. Um, and the other thing we looked at was uh, something we're calling extreme absenteeism, which is missing more than 50% of days in the term. Um, both went up during the pandemic. And we don't, you know, this is descriptive stuff. We don't know all the whys, um, but uh, what we saw was sort of a 3% increase in chronic absence um, and a really substantial increase, six times the level of extreme absence during the fall of last year, 19, the fall of 2020 compared to the fall of 2019. So it's not that many kids typically who have extreme absence. In 2019, a regular year, it was sort of 0.3% of kids. That rose to um, 2% of kids uh, in 2020. And that translates, though, to thousands of children in this large sample. Um, and we would argue that there just aren't the services in place for it. The other key finding that we had was um, about the difference between remote schooling and in-person schooling. So interestingly, chronic absence went up more. There were more problems with chronic absenteeism in face-to-face -face schooling. And that might make sense because kids had to miss school um, because they, uh, you know, might have had symptoms that could have been COVID. Uh, they may have been sent home from school for class reasons. There are lots of reasons why face-to-face -face schooling might be disrupted. Um, the other thing, though, that we found was the extreme absence was much worse in the remote schooling environment. They were twice as likely um, to be missing school. So 2.7% of kids in remote learning were missing more than 50% of days and versus 1.3% in the face-to-face. -face. Like you said, this study doesn't actually get into the reasons, but why would this be important to school boards, not only in the, the greater Toronto area, but across Ontario and perhaps the country? And then secondly, what kinds of things should even these boards or other school boards do with this kind of data? I mean, like six-time increase of ex you know extreme absenteeism what should school boards do about that? Yeah, well, we, we haven't talked about it. And again, you folks probably don't need to be told. The listeners of your podcast probably know that absenteeism is an incredibly strong predictor of student well-being and their long-term educational success. They're learning in classes, academic achievement, if you measure it by grades or tests, and whether they're going to go on to post-secondary. So in a different study that I did with uh, two fantastic colleagues, Robert Brown and Jillian Parekh, um, we found that uh, missing more than 10% of days is one of the best predictors that kids will not go on to post-secondary university. Missing those days in elementary school, so way down the pike. It's a much bigger predictor than, you know, getting level one on EQAO or having more than two things um, in the EDI that 
cause concern. Uh, it's actually that missed attendance, that homeschool challenge uh, that tends to put you close to 50% of kids who are missing more than 10% of days don't go on to post-secondary. Um, and, and that's a real, real worry uh, in the long term. It's a signal to educators and uh, that something is amiss. <laughs> and some of those things are almost certainly beyond the control of individual educators. But almost without exception, I would say extreme absenteeism is a signal that something needs to change. And there's really good evidence that where school boards do sort of go all in on supporting improved attendance, it can have a really positive effect on, on that number and on student outcomes. Um, and there are lots of good examples, mostly in the US, where uh, there's been work around attendance. There's a group called Attendance Works that does fabulous, fabulous uh, interventions and research around it. So did you get a sense as you're doing your research that uh, school boards are paying attention to uh, attendance and the impact? Is it your sense that they're realizing the impact that this is having on the, the bigger picture? Well, I think there are really conversations going on. You do hear conversations from educators about um, how attendance has shifted uh, or absenteeism has shifted during the pandemic. You hear a lot from educators about students ghosting. So turning on the computer for remote school and then going and going back to sleep or uh, <laughs> doing something in another room. So you hear that conversation. Um, and you also hear kind of more of a, a social worky conversation, but the resources that have been put into attendance are very, very incremental, I would say. They're just a little bit of extra resource for a problem that has gotten massively worse. Um, one school board told uh, with a social work staff of eight for, you know, 30 plus thousand students, um, told us they got one additional social worker. So if you just looked at the kids with the extreme attendance problems, that would be one social worker for every 287 kids. Um, and those are not kids who it's like one phone call over the course of the term is going to make a difference, right? That's, um, that's not a realistic workload uh, for, for folks who are concerned. So that means that the work goes back to classroom teachers and principals. Um, who are facing their own major stressors. So I, I would say we're not doing what needs to happen at the system level, even though there is a, that conversation about well-being. Yeah. I'm just wondering, um, with the school boards you, you got the data from, did you break it down in terms of um, sort of where were there areas of those different boards that might have a higher incidence of absenteeism than others? Um, and I think, of, I think of the work you do with the equity um, in it in schools and I was I was a principal for many years in a number of different schools and the schools that struggled the most with attendance were the ones that I was in in very low socioeconomic areas um, mm -hmm. where I'll say the attitude but it's probably not the attitude but the the perception of education wasn't um, a high priority for some people whatever um, and so kids attending every day wasn't seen to be as as important as other areas of the school board so I'm just wondering if you saw any 
if you broke the data down further than just the raw numbers to maybe areas of those school boards and further, did you just look at the, the, the attendance that you're there or not, or some of the reasons why they weren't? Because I know when we collect that attendance data on a daily basis in every school in Ontario, we have to put a little mark next to it why they're absent, whether it's an excused absent by the parent, whether it's a doctor's appointment, whether they're ill. There's all those reason uh, codes that we put in. I'm just wondering if you went into the reason yeah. codes or you just look at the broad picture. Well, because we were trying to do this very broad sweep of large scale data with multiple boards, we really kept it very simple. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there is a, literally a 76 page guide as to how to take and record attendance that comes from the Ministry of Education. Mm-hmm. Well, I know I'm familiar uh, with it, unfortunately. We did have a number of conversations with senior personnel and boards um, about you know, what were the challenges of measuring absenteeism during this period? And there were many, <laughs> um, you know, lots of challenges around churn, um, which means, you know, students moving in and out of remote versus in person, um, lots of challenges with uh, how, how do you record absences that are um, because everybody's quarantining. Um, is it more like a snow day or is it an actual absence? Because that makes a difference for your denominator, right? Um, And the truth is, I mean, I didn't talk about the third finding, which was that we don't have good enough data to say what's happening in secondary schools at all. Um, The truth is that there was so much choppiness during last fall around school that, um, even getting to a more refined set of reasons or places, different boards had different capacities. Um, we were, it's a little bit of a lowest common denominator look. And, and I appreciate that. I know I was filling in at a school last year and I started off when I started at the school as a principal, um, students were learning online and attendance was simply every, every child was marked absent every day with like you say that the, the G code. A lot of that stuff and, and that's and not what's supposed to happen. No. And then, then the kids all came back to face to face and then they went back to remote learning again. And then the second time around with remote learning, teachers were asked to mark the attendance appropriately. So that if students weren't there in, you know, on their screens and their Zoom meetings in the morning, then they were marked absent. And so the attendant were there was an attempt to take the attendance a little more accurately than simply just marking every child as present or every child absent. And, you know, to mark every child present from January to March didn't seem right because not every child was present. But mm-hmm. then from the towards the end of the year, we were trying to be accurate. And there's no no end of frustration for teachers because so like you would mark a child absent, it would go on their form and then the child would show up five minutes later and then they would disappear after or disappear after attendance was taken, you know, as you say, ghosting. So um, yeah. it is it is a broken front in terms of how attendance is actually recorded yeah. and, and very difficult. But I, I would think with a sample size of 700,000, some, some of those highs and lows would smooth themselves out and you'd get a more of an accurate picture. Yeah, I was just going to pick up on your, um, you mentioned the homeschool connection um, mm-hmm. when you were talking. And I, I wondered if that how that factored into what you thought you might be seeing with uh, the attendance. Did that factor in the relationship with home and school on attendance, remote or otherwise? Um, 
I'm sure it does. We don't have large scale data on it. Okay. Um, you know that there are lots of accounts. There's some terrific, terrific journalism. Um, Carolyn Alfonso did a magnificent story on the work of an attendance counselor in Thunder Bay, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's large scale research um, coming out of the States. There's a something called the Every Student Succeeds Center in Baltimore. And they, they've done a lot of work okay. around, you know, the range of issues, whether it be um, parental or student well-being. Um, certainly attitudes can play a role. Um, logistical challenges, it's a lot harder if there are Um, if you're getting to school on transit or, you know, if, so there's a wide range of factors that the um, research base points us to this. We didn't have any findings. Right. Um, We're just. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) There are not. And simple wasn't that simple. (laughs) In your, uh, the, the other research work that you referred to, you mentioned one of the predictors of post-secondary attendance being elementary school mm-hmm. um, attendance. Mm-hmm. Can you give us the other two things that you found and and then maybe speak to what should schools do with those predictors? Right. Um, so the data that we used for that's study was only from the Toronto District School Board. Um, so uh, the other two factors were even one suspension in elementary school or um, congregated special education s- services. And Toronto District School Board, which has done a lot of fantastic work on a lot of fronts, is one of the worst school boards in the province for congregating their special education services. Um, So it might not be the same in other boards. There's a lot of variety uh, and that would be a really good research question. What can we do about it is a (laughs) uh, certainly a million dollar question, but I think that there are some really powerful examples that we can look to from other places. I haven't seen um, a whole lot around the restorative work that you folks are are um, piloting, and I'm really hoping that some research is going to come out of your work, um, so we can see how that see whether that set of strategies have a, sort of an impact at scale. It makes a lot of sense because they do say, you know, connection, invitation, problem solving, early connecting. When, when things start to be a problem, not, not when they've spun out of control. Um, you know, school social work staff have a very, very complex role, particularly if they're working in communities where referral may be a little more challenging. Um, if, if there are some specific things going on, um, but connection, ongoing welcome, taking attendance as a a signal for the need to re-engage students rather than a a reason to de-enroll them is pretty central. It it used to drive me crazy that somebody would be demitted 
after 15 consecutive days. And if they happen, if that student happened to show up for an attendance report at day 14, they would start that count again, but still only 15 days. And then what happens to the individual? They end up falling out of the educational system. We don't know where they are. We can't get the services that they need. And they're going to fall into the, the child protection system. They're going to fall into the criminal justice system. They're going to fall into the social welfare system. Other systems are going to be picking them up and we've kind of lost track of them. So, uh, you know, it, it does have an impact on, on other systems as well, for sure. Yeah, it's kind of remarkable. The 15 days is really about um, government transfers, which are tied to enrollment rather than student well-being. Absolutely. And that's what I was going to say. I mean, we say 15 days can go quickly, but at the same time, if a secondary student misses 15 days of a class and then, you know, appears for one and then misses another, it's 15 days is a huge piece of a secondary school student's um, semester to, so that the, you can lose them very quickly that way too, that they feel there's no way to recover. Um, and yeah, it's just a marker show up and then you're good to go for a while. So it is, it's, it, it just feels like it's about the dollars many times. I just wanted to, to touch base with the suspension data because obviously that a lot of that relates to the work we do with restorative practice. And, and mm-hmm. when we got into this whole restorative thing. A lot of it was to, because of a, a, the approach to discipline, which was the, um, you know, get tough on kids and suspend them and then they'll, they'll straighten up. And we realized that wasn't, wasn't working. So I'm just curious about the suspension data you collected where you say even one suspension in elementary school is a predictor. What kind of sort of suspension data did you collect? Were, were, you know, when you talked about percentage of, of students who are chronically absent, extreme absent, what percentage of students were suspended? And did you, again, I'm going to ask you, did you break that down even further you know, into, you know, recently we've been collecting a lot of race-based data on suspensions, but I'm just wondering if you went that deep in we didn't you know research is always a body of research Mm -hmm. so uh, pieces don't stand alone you try and cross-reference so uh there is a really large study using toronto district school board data uh by a great colleague samuel shang um that does look at the demographics Mm -hmm. of suspension and they really do suggest um some pretty significant overrepresentation of particularly students with disabilities and black boys. Um, you know, very, very marked and problematic figures. So we didn't do that work, but the same data was used to um, to interrogate those things around suspensions. We haven't yet seen an analysis of uh, absenteeism data by race or, um, you know, in the Toronto District School Board, they have something called the Learning Opportunities Index, which looks at sort of neighborhood characteristics of schools. Um, some, <laughs> there's a bunch of caveats to put in place around, you know, actually the majority of students don't go to their home school. <laughs> Mm -hmm. (laughs) in 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 big cities so it's it's but you know it is a reasonable measure of uh sort of collective advantage or disadvantage uh i haven't seen that analysis done for absenteeism um our school board researchers like our school social workers um have many many hats they're juggling um and it is 
uh, I think really imperative that we find ways of supporting the process of better understanding what, what's behind these patterns. But I can say that we know that when, if you take all three of those factors together and they do intersect, they are mm -hmm. intersecting factors, um, the chance of someone going on to post-secondary, 80% chance they won't go. Now, when we talked earlier, you mentioned um, that a lot of your work has to do with equity issues in education. Can you draw some connections between the equity issues and uh, attendance then or absenteeism? How does that equity and attendance or absenteeism connect? Yeah, I mean, I think there's more work to do <laughs> here. Um, I always tend to take an opportunity to learn lens. So if students aren't in school and aren't being actively engaged, re-engaged and brought back in, then they're missing out on the opportunity to learn um, that's being provided on a little bit of a one-size-fits-all basis necessarily when you have 30 kids in front of you or 350 kids in a school there's some need for standardization but these are kids where something's gone astray um, probably and um, we do know that people are more likely to face challenges when they are otherwise um, marginalized in our society I guess for lack of a better word um, and so I think I would like to see um, kind of a, I always look from a systemic discrimination. If, if you know that something is a major barrier, um, if you know that something is disproportionately affecting particular groups, and I think, again, if we looked at things like disability and um, race and poverty, we would see that result. That's certainly been the case everywhere else that they've done that analysis. Uh, and you don't do anything about it. <laughs> um, you're kind of participating in a system that's leaving barriers in place that are disproportionately affecting your most vulnerable learners. So I do think there's an imperative there. I don't, I don't think that you're kind of participating. You are <laughs> participating in perpetuating those barriers yeah. for sure. Yeah. So, um, as we kind of wrap up this podcast, we always like to ask the question, what's one practical thing that you would recommend for someone who's listening? Um, so one practical thing, and we each get a, a shot at this, but go ahead. Why don't you start? You guys are on the front line. Can you go first? Okay, sure. And when we, when it comes to that, we always ask Shelly to go Shelly first. Goes first. <laughs> Shelly goes first. So my, I guess a practical suggestion around attendance in particular is not waiting to the 15 days. Um, that's way too long to start asking questions. If you're seeing a change in any pattern, start to ask early uh, what's happening for that student or that family. And just to reinforce the elementary school piece of things, that's your opportunity because that's when habits are set and it's often at a family level. So that homeschool connection and supporting families to have their students come to school is, is and it's often work with families at that time rather than you know the six-year-old. It's the family that's going to make or break whether they're coming to school. Shelly took my mind family connection piece so. she she actually did too she did right? too i know she, i know she 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 has a way of slipping more of these things and yet in we here still let her go first uh, i know i know no i was gonna say you know um and this may sound 
trite, but I mean, data speaks and we need to look at the data and we can't, we need to collect the data, but we also have to look at it. And I'm a big one. You can tell from my question of digging down into the data and say, well, okay, here's some numbers. What do those numbers actually mean? And so, um, you know, I always, as a principal, we, we would get our attendance data and then we would dig, start to dig down and I go to each teacher with each kid and say, tell me why, tell me each of these 13 days or 12 days or whatever that child had, what was their reason codes? And we started to really delve, dig down into the data to determine what were the reasons for students being absent. And, and then when we got that core group of kids where there's just so many unexplained, then we could focus on those kids because honestly, you know, it's not uncommon for a child to miss 10%, but you can probably explain away more than half of them by parent exemptions or going to hockey tournaments and all those other things. So let's look at those kids so that really, truly, we couldn't understand why they weren't there and we weren't getting the answers. So data is important. I always use data. We really need to collect the data and it has to be useful for us so that we can focus the limited resources we do have on those hardest, most difficult cases. Uh, my suggestion would be to ask yourself the question, am I denying someone the opportunity to learn here by not knowing and not acting on these predictive factors in marginalized groups? Long question, but it really, if, we're, if we don't ask ourselves the questions about the data and look at the elementary things, the earlier suggestions, um, we are in fact perpetuating a systemic discrimination against certain groups in our educational system. Kelly, well, one practical suggestion. I think it's very funny to ask a researcher for a practical solution. When well, let's go. Let's go. From a frontline perspective. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I guess what I would say is that, it, I mean, if schools are um, using different data tracking measures that they focus on, on um, looking at not the consecutive days, but the total absences rather than the consecutive. Um, there are school boards that have used um, really simple things like postcard nudges about back to school to try and get people right on the bus at the beginning of term under normal circumstances. And I don't think you're going to think this is a practical thing you can do, but I would say that this is a place where we should be thinking about interagency cooperation. Um, and uh, it's not like our public health people aren't pretty busy, but the interventions in the large US systems that did things like half absenteeism among homeless kids tended to come from public health school board collaborations. So thinking about those partners, you've got them now to track <laughs> infections, but talking about, well, what else could we do together while that person's in your office, if you're a school principal, that might be a place I'd like to see leadership. And I, I think that, you know, um, seeing coordinated priority around this in the busy school day of educators is something that can make a difference. And, Everything we know says it's important. We've seen a lot of improvement in our suspension data in the last decade. It's been really substantial uh, where I've followed it. Let's try and see the same kind of effort and attention go to absenteeism, because I think that's a really positive place to intervene. I'd love to see a full court press on, 
on decreasing absenteeism. Mm -hmm. I really think that although it always does have a home component or a student well-being component, um, we do know schools can really help bend the curve. And uh, I think that's something that's great to see as part of our responsibility in the education system, in our great public education system. Well, you're preaching to a choir of three here in terms of uh, that interagency collaboration, because that's really what's needed from schools, too. There's no way that schools can address all the causes that lead to this attendance problem. But in schools, we get to see the early warning signs. We get to see the indicators, like you mentioned, uh, very, very uh, early on. And so if we can flag that, and that's part of the research that we're hoping to be part of uh, as well. If we can flag that and then intervene early, what kind of difference can we make to some of those outcomes? Holds school boards back that have data, that have conversations. Why are we not taking the steps that we need to take? What is a conversation? Okay. And I mean, I think it's that people are really busy. Right? Like, if everything's a priority, nothing is. Sure. Uh, um, and I don't think people see it as important for the long term. I think they think of it as a here and now problem. Absolutely. So, you know, I think there are reasons why um, we haven't had the attention on it um, that it used to, that it perhaps deserves. Thank you very much, Kelly. We really appreciated you taking the time to have this conversation with us and especially the research that you've done. And you know, we've had to work very collaboratively with public health and schools during the pandemic, as you indicated, and we've actually built some really good relationships. And now is the time to consider absenteeism as a public health issue, which requires some of that interagency cooperation. We do some work with addressing chronic absenteeism that we'd love to share with you. So drop us an email to stan at restorative.ca and let's keep the conversation going. <laughs>